You're listening to the Eyes on Conservation podcast, episode 63. Welcome to the Eyes on Conservation podcast, where we bring you engaging conversations about wildlife conservation from all across the globe. I'm your host, Matt Podolsky. Today in the show, we are talking with the authors of a new children's book about the vaquita called Vinny the Vaquita. Jen Gabler wrote this story with the help of her three-year-old son, Sander. We'll be hearing from both Jen and Sander, and Jen will be sharing some great stories about this unique collaborative process. I thought that this would be a particularly appropriate time to bring you another Vaquita-themed episode of the podcast, since I will be in San Felipe, Mexico, on our next shoot for Souls of the Vermilion Sea when this episode airs. I'm recording this intro just before catching a flight to California, where I'll meet up with Eyes on Conservation producer Sean Bogle and start our drive down to Mexico for this next shoot. We'll be keeping folks up to date on the latest happenings out there in the field, so keep an eye on the Wildlands blog and check out the brand new website that we just launched for Souls of the Vermilion Sea. That website URL is vaquitafilm.com. Let's jump in and hear from Jen and Sander. All right, I'm here with Jen and Sander Gabler, who are the authors of a new children's book about the vaquita called Vinny the Vaquita. It's really great to have uh, to have you both on the show. It's good to be talking to you. Jen, I'm going to start off just by asking you to uh, give us a quick introduction to, to this new book, Vinny the Vaquita. You know, maybe just give us a quick synopsis. Uh, so Vinny is the last Vaquita in the bay, and he decides he has to go off and try to find more of his species. And as you know, Vaquitas live in a very small area in the northern Gulf of California, and he has to stray out of his comfort zone to try and find uh, to try and find other vaquitas. On the way, he finds a right whale, and the reason I've introduced a right whale is so that readers can have a chance to get to know um, a, a little bit about vaquitas and to find that they actually know quite a bit about them already. Pairing the vaquita to the whale uh, and finding out that they're mammals and so on that they they do know a lot about them. So the vaquita, so Vinny and uh, the right whale start trying to, to find the, uh, the other vaquitas and then hear a voice calling out that the vaquitas have been found but caught in a fishing net. And, of course, this is a, a real problem for vaquitas is that they do get caught in these illegal uh, gill nets. Fortunately, in the story, there are 100 cetaceans go to help free the vaquitas. In reality, that's not going to happen, so it's our responsibility to do that. Uh, and the the book ends with a message about how we can try to help vaquitas. Now, you have your son, Sander, with you. And, Sander, I understand that you'd like to read us a passage from the book. Very the vaquita was a porpoise with black eyes. He looked quite like a dolphin, but with a smaller size. The gulf was kind of fuller where these porpoises were from. Since Vinny had been born, he lived there following his mom. When, when Vinny the Vaquita was still a baby cat, he giggled, he giggled, wiggle, and he would always laugh. 
But all of that had changed now that Lenny was half grown, because he saw that nowadays he was all alone. That was really fantastic, Sander. Thanks for reading that for us. So I, I have a question for you. I was wondering if it was if it was fun working on this story about the vaquita with your mom. Oh, yes, it was. <laughs> awesome. Do you, do you have a favorite part of the story? There are two blue whale parts. There are two pages that have a blue whale on, and he loves the blue whale. He has a whole backstory. So the blue whale in here is called... Sue the Blue. And what's Sue the Blue's husband that we always do some role-playing? Who's Sue the Blue's husband? Blue. Blue the Blue. So you like blue whales? Blue whales blue are whales. favorite, yeah. Well, thanks a lot for uh, for reading that section of the book, Sander. That was, that was really cool. Jen, I- I'm curious to learn how you first heard about the vaquita. So we were living in Houston, Texas at the time, and we went to Galveston for just a couple of days on a, a short uh, vacation with myself, my two children, my husband, and my parents-in-law. At the time, my son uh, was very, very interested in whales and, um, and in cetaceans in general, and he genuinely knew more than most adults about whales at the time. Uh, he really has forgotten more about whales than I've ever known. Um, and on that particular day, he was very excited about blue whales. He still is sometimes today. And uh, he was telling me about how large they get, how old they get. And I decided I would Google and try and find out the smallest cetacean so I could just for a moment know more than he did. So I, I did a Google search for the smallest cetacean. I came to the Wikipedia page and started reading aloud to him. Um, it went something like, the vaquita is the smallest and most endangered cetacean in the world. So, of course, he then wanted to know, what does endangered mean, mummy? And I read on and told him in, in words that a, a two-year-old at the time, two-year-old could understand, that there were fewer than 100 left in the world. And if we didn't do something, they were all going to die. And if they died, they would never come back again. And his little eyes filled up with tears. And he said, we have to do something, mummy. And I said, well, what do we have to do? What can we do to help them? And his first thought was that we should give money to the fishermen to stop them from uh, using the, the gill nets to, to the, the vaquitas are getting caught in, which I thought was very insightful for a two-year-old, but unfortunately not something we could financially do. So we talked about it for a couple of moments, and um, we decided that the best way we could do um, something to help the vaquitas was to get other people to learn what we just learned and if they knew that there were so few of these animals left, maybe they could help too. And the sheer numbers of humans helping might be able to uh, prevent the vaquitas from going extinct. And we decided the best way we could do that was to write a children's book. It's, it's really powerful to hear about your son's response to learning about the vaquita and about how endangered it is and how few there are, there are left. Um, but it's also really neat to hear about how the two of you came together to come up with this idea to, to write a book. I'm just curious to learn a little bit about like what, what that creative process was like in you know, working with your young son to sort of come up with the story behind Vinny the Vaquita. So we, we started working on it when we were still in Galveston. By the time we left a couple of days later, I got the first five verses done. Every time I came up with a new couple of lines, I would read them aloud to him and his eyes would light up and he'd get a big grin on his face and I knew I was heading the right direction. 
but he wanted me to work faster and faster and faster and tell him the end of the story. And so at one stage I said, well, I don't have all the words, but I can tell you the story. So it goes like this. And I told him about Vinny meeting a right whale that he'd already named Ronnie after his grandfather and how the two of them had found the vaquitas trapped in a fishing net. No, mummy. No, mummy, that's not the story. And I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, I want a killer whale to find them. I said, well, a killer whale, They're, they eat other whales. Why do you want a killer whale? He said, I want people to know that killer whales aren't always scary and they can do good things. Okay, so we had a killer whale finding them. And I want a blue whale to get them out because blue whales are the biggest animals that have ever lived on Earth. Okay, okay, we'll have a blue whale. And that was one example. He he came up with some of the rhymes and I then had to work out how to get the, the meter and the scanning to work correctly Um to, to actually form the poetry, but he was very involved in writing the story. When I then started doing the illustrations, um, for example, he wanted Vinny with the, the um, dark color from his lips and around his eyes. He wanted it to form a V on his forehead for Vikita, and so we did that. Uh, with Ronnie the right whale, we decided early on we wanted him to have a little bit more color than a, a right whale really does to make the, the pictures in the book more appealing to children. Um, and I'd done, I think, three or four of the illustrations, and he told me that I'd got the color of the right whale wrong, and he was too yellow. He needed to be more green. It was quite frustrating to have a then newly turned three-year-old telling you, you have to change these illustrations when I had a full-time job. I'd been working on this book overnight. But I did it, and I changed the colors, and he was right. It looked far better with the color that he'd picked out for Ronnie. Um, so he he really was very good at helping me along. But perhaps the, the biggest help he was, was I would be working 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the morning on these illustrations, knowing that in the morning when he woke up and he said, what does it look like? What's the next page? Show me, mommy. And I would show him just the look on his face kept kept me working at it, kept driving me to, to work on it and, and keep going through the exhaustion. So, uh, I mean, you mentioned that you you were working on this project, you know, sort of late at night, you know, um, in addition to working a full time job. Um, I mean, maybe you can just tell me a little bit about about your background um, and how you sort of came to be interested in in writing a, a, a children's book. So when I was about seven years old, I wrote my first children's story. Um, and until about a year ago, it was my last children's story. Uh, it's a very, a very long and circuitous route to get back to this point. Um, so I actually studied maths um, at university, pure math, and I was a high school math teacher for several years. Uh, and I loved teaching. I didn't love the classroom management quite so much. Uh, so after that, I went on and uh, became a geophysicist. And I actually worked in the oil and gas industry for a little while. Um, and it was whilst I was doing that that I uh, started working on Vinny the Vaquita overnight whilst working full-time job in the oil and gas industry. So maybe balancing out some of the, the dirty oil and gas with the trying to protect a, um, an endangered species. I'm curious to hear like what that was like. I mean, did you struggle with that? Before I started the job, I did think that I would. Um, and so, so when I was looking for a career change after the teaching, somebody had mentioned geophysics to me because they thought it would be a subject I'd enjoy. And I had no better ideas myself, so I, I went with it. It was during my first semester, somebody said, are you interviewing with the industry this semester? And I said, which industry? Because I had no idea what geophysics led to. Um, 
And when I then did get a job in an oil company, I was really quite unsure about it. My husband is an ecologist and works in restoration, um, and he was also not very keen. When I got into it, I actually discovered that it's not what one might expect from the outside. And so the people there really, the, the people who are working in the companies really do care about what they're doing. There are consumers who want to use oil and gas. And if we can get it out of the ground and create the least environmental damage in the process, then we're doing a good job. If I can make sure that only one hole is drilled instead of 10, or I can make sure that we, we um, extract as much of the oil and gas from that, that place as we can, then I've actually helped the environment by doing it. And so I, I actually didn't find that it was a struggle. Are you continuing your, your work in the field of geophysics uh, in, in, in any way at this point? I'm not. Um, I was one of the casualties of the downturn, so I was made redundant. Um, I'm quite happy with that because I now get to be a full-time stay-at-home mum uh, and work on uh, my writing and illustrations at the same time. And just this year, I have begun a training program to become a midwife as well. Are you working on, on any other books at the moment? I am. So I've, uh, I'm, I think, four illustrations now into my second children's book, which is about breastfeeding, which is something I feel very passionate about. Um, and so hopefully that'll be quite a unique look at, at that. Um, it's also lots of uh, poetry and beautiful illustrations in there. And I've just completed my first uh, novel. It's a science fiction novel, a 100,000 word novel. And I will hopefully have that ready to sell within the next month or so. Wow. Well, congratulations on, I mean, on this Thank book, you. but also on your first novel. Very cool. I'm also a science fiction fan, so um, I, I can't stop myself from asking uh, to give us a little uh, quick synopsis of your novel. That's very difficult because there are so many <laughs> twists and turns. From, from the very first page, I lead the, the readers to try and expect a particular outcome. And by the end of the third page, you're thinking, oh, that wasn't what I was expecting. Um, really, at its heart, it's a story of love. And I know love and science fiction don't necessarily go hand in hand very, very well together often. But I think this time they do. So it was inspired by my grandparents, um, who, unfortunately, they're, they're both dead now. But the relationship between them is something that you don't come across very often. So my, my grandmother had Alzheimer's. Um, and at the end of her life, she had forgotten everything. She didn't recognize her own children, but she knew her husband. And every time she saw him, she would, she would touch his hand. She would reach over and kiss his forehead. And the power of that love is, is the real core of this book. And until you get to the end of the book, you might not see that that's what's happening because it is dressed up in, in a science fiction story. Uh, but that's the real message of the book. You know, any sort of hint of like any kind of environmental issues or anything about marine mammals uh, that you're able to sneak in there? Uh, not in the first book, but it, it is the first of a trilogy. And I have planned and started writing the second and the third. And the third book, in fact, does have. Um, I, I don't want to give too much of the game away, but the, the third book is, is very environmentally heavy. Um, so there's. If I if I become a, a big uh, uh, an author selling an, an awful lot of copies at some stage in the future, then people are going to listen back to this podcast and say, "You said environment. I know what's going to happen." <laughs> but yeah, the, and in fact, the, the very first chapter has um, a humpback whale uh, that my my son got to name, um, 
in the, the very first chapter of the third book. And so I have written the beginning of that one. So I'm wondering if you've ever been down to Mexico where the Vaquita lives or if you have any plans to, um, to visit. Not to where the Vaquita lives. Uh, we are actually live now in Brownsville. And so we are 15 minutes from Mexico. We go over to Mexico for dinner sometimes. Um, but we haven't been to the Gulf of California. It's something we definitely would love to do at some stage. Uh, possibly when the children are a little bit older. Um, I know we would be quite likely to see some cetaceans, but I think they would both be devastated if we didn't see vaquitas. And so maybe once the, there are thousands of vaquitas out there again, uh, maybe then we'll visit, or when the children are a little older and understand better just quite how shy they are. It's certainly nice to think about a time in the future when there are thousands yeah. of vaquitas yeah, out yeah. there. In the fall, I spent um, a couple of weeks down there on a shoot for our film and um, spent an entire week out on a boat doing nothing but scanning the horizon, searching for Vaquita um, and caught one very, very brief glimpse of what, mm -hmm. what I'm almost positive was a Vaquita. Um, but yeah, it's, they're, they're, they're not, not easy to see out there for yeah. sure. So I'm curious to hear just some of your thoughts about, you know, the, the potential for a book like this, you know, a children's book to have an impact on a conservation issue like this, you know, like why, I mean, what is it about a children's book that you think um, might be able to play an important role in a conservation issue like this, like what the Vaquita is experiencing? So I think that the Vaquita actually has, has shown uh, more than many other conservation projects that I've looked at, that children can have an impact, although he's not a child anymore, um, Aiden is a, 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 has uh, done an awful lot of work trying to protect the, the keepers. This is the second uh, book about the keepers. Um, and the first, I think Aiden was 12 years old uh, when he wrote the first book. Um, and children can dream big. That's one of the, the um, key parts of this book is that children have big ideas. They're not confined like we sometimes are. The, the very first page of the book says that when nurtured, the smallest minds can dream the biggest dreams. And one of the messages in the book is about the gill nets that the vaquitas get caught in and trying to make sure that adults know about them. They tell other children who may tell their parents. We spread the word. People get to know about it. There's information in the book about how to get to petitions to sign about that sort of thing. But children can't necessarily do a huge amount specifically uh, for the vaquita other than possibly raising a little money and, and awareness. And so there is a, a larger message about conservation in there, um, talking about uh, recycling, cleaning up the environment. And one of the pages mentions not letting balloons get into the sea because it, they can choke whales. My son, just a few weeks after we'd written the book, we were out at a party where there was um, a, a water park and somebody had had water balloons around, and he ran around picking up every single piece of water balloon. And the adults around were saying, what's he doing? What's he doing? And it started a big conversation. And I think children looking after the environment and adults witnessing that, it can be a very powerful thing. It can make a real difference, and word spreads. I, I think it's really important to not ignore kids when we talk about sort of routes to addressing conservation issues and um, so I think it's really important that, that you worked on this book. And I think the fact that you worked on it with your son definitely adds some some power to it. So um, how can folks uh, get their hands on a copy of the book? 
So right now, uh, the only place that it's actually available is my website, which is jengabler.com. That's J-E-N-G-A-B-L-E-R.com. Or you can just Google Vinnie the Vaquita and I'll pop up. Within the next month or so, it will hit Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and various other places. The best place to buy it is directly from me because the costs are lower that way and so I can donate more of the uh, profits uh, to Vaquita Charities. But of course... Any way you buy it and any way you spread the word is fine by me. You are donating a certain percentage of the proceeds um, to Vaquita Conservation. Um, so when folks purchase the book, they're also supporting um, efforts to conserve the species. Absolutely. Um, In fact, I was, I was crunching the numbers earlier today. And the book has now been on sale for a week and a half. And I haven't sold a huge number of copies. But because I've managed to keep the costs low, I have already sold enough that I've covered all of the costs in the production of the book. And so already I'm in a position to start donating money from the sales of the books to charities. I mean, I, I'm actually a little curious to hear about like, you know, what that process was like of how you, how you decided, you know, uh, what organizations to donate that money to. So one of the things I've, I've kept this relatively vague in the book on purpose because I want to be able to adapt to what happens. Um, there are several different groups who are involved in um, uh, trying to look after the vaquitas. So, for example, the Marine Mammal Center has a, a pot of money specifically for vaquitas, Viva Vaquita, um, and uh, there's a, an SOS species um, has a, a vaquita uh, project as well. And so I would like to be able to give a little bit of money to each of the groups, but also if there's a particular project that comes up, a research a project that somebody needs to have funded, something like your documentary. I want to be able to um, move that money quickly into one of those groups rather than having tied myself down to one specific charity. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, that's really important with this project specifically, because there are so many groups that are that are working, um, you know, sort of from different angles to try to address different aspects of, um, you know, what's going on with this Vaquita population. So um, I, I think that's definitely a good approach. And it's, it's clear you've done your research, which is the most important part. Well, um, thanks a lot, Jen, for, for coming on the show and um, sharing your really interesting perspective on Vaquita conservation and telling us all about your new book, Vinny the Vaquita. Thank you very much. All right. That was our conversation with Jen and Sander Gabler, authors of the new children's book, Vinny the Vaquita. I really loved hearing about what this collaborative process between Jen and her son Sander looked like. It's definitely unique to hear about an author co-writing a book with their three-year-old son. So be sure to check out Jen and Sander's book on their website, uh, jengabler.com. You can find that link as well as additional information on the Vaquita and Jen's writing on the show notes page for this episode, which you'll find at wildlensinc.org slash EOC63. This episode was produced by myself, your host, Matt Podolsky. Our theme music is by The Humidors. Humidors.